And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Hassan Malik's fascination with trees has been a constant for as long as he can remember. With a hand pruners or saw, he readily gave attention to the tree problems he encountered growing up in Northeast Philadelphia. Hassan is an ISA certified arborist and has a degree in civil engineering from Temple University. In 2008, Hassan founded Tree Northeast, the nonprofit organization plants street trees and yard trees throughout Northeast Philadelphia, engaging volunteers and residents by greening the community. To date, the organization has planted over a thousand trees and helps maintain them regularly. Tree Authority started in 2012 with the goal of providing superior tree care in the Southeastern Pennsylvania region. The nursery began the following year in Perkasie, Pennsylvania. Hassan and his wife, Tasneem, continue to expand the nursery, which now stocks over 200 varieties of fruit, shade, and ornamental trees, including a diverse selection of natives. The Tree Authority's goal is to give trees the best chance to survive in an urban landscape, right from the nursery. The nursery uses best practices to strong, healthy trees with virtually no girdling roots, no transplant shock, and visible root flares. Visiting the Tree Authority in Perkinsie, Pennsylvania makes evident Hassan's melding of horticulture and engineering. His innovations for container types, staking systems, irrigation techniques, and soil mixes consistently translate into healthy, vigorous trees. Welcome to the Trillion Trees podcast, Hassan, Um, and we are so delighted that you could be with us today. Uh, We can't wait to ask you all the questions that we have burning in our little hearts uh, Hal, do you want to take it away? Absolutely. Well, I, I saw Hassan a couple days ago up at the nursery, and I always have a good time, and I'm always kind of walking that fine line of not wasting his time, but at the same time, I need to nerd out and look at all the cool trees he's got. But I think we're, we know each other well enough. I picked up my tree, and I got out of his way. Every time I get a t- chance to tour, I'm just blown away with the diversity Your website says you have over 200 trees, uh, 200 varieties, and I don't doubt that. I bought a beautiful, sweet uh, swamp white oak and um, just wondered, just to get right into some of the uh, technical stuff that you do, because it's so apparent to me that you have this engineering background. Talk about those fabric bags and what made you go in that direction. I think I'm, I saw 15 and 25 gallon containers. Uh, what's the advantage to, uh, to using them? First of all, thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. This is exciting. Uh, but yeah, we do five gallon to 25 gallon as the full range of these sizes that we do in the containers. Uh, they're cool because they are a fabric bag and the, the smaller size of the five gallon and the seven gallon 
are actually a zip-off bag that can be reused. The advantage to them in general is that they air prune. And the way that works is, and it's a little bit hard to describe uh, just talking about it, but essentially the, the bag dries out the tips of the roots that sort of touch it or get close to it uh, because in that bag scenario, the, the bag is actually drying as opposed to the plastic pot where the wettest part is kind of between where the soil meets the plastic. And so what happens is those tips die so that the root tips actually die. And that sort of forces it to, to root or branch, send out roots from the, uh, the center and really creates a, a fibrous root system as opposed to a, um, a more woody one on the edge that is circling around. There is no air pruning though on the bottom because the bottom is sitting on the ground. You will see that the bottom does get matted. Uh, but the sides don't, and the sides don't circle, and that circling is a real problem. So th- what I'm saying is the bottom still needs to be teased out, even though the sides might not need to be. Okay, cool. Are the bags themselves made out of a recycled material, or are the bags recyclable? Could I make a, a cool hat out of a bag once uh, I'm done planting a tree? The bags that I, I've used in the past were made out of recycled materials. The problem with that was they ended up uh, not lasting long enough here in the nursery because we need them to, you know, some of our crops we might be able to turn around in a year or two, but others might take a lot longer than that. So uh, their their longevity just wasn't long enough. The ones that we use now are spun nylon. They're recyclable only in that the ones that are Velcro can be zipped off and reused, which is only our five and seven gallon. So the ones like the one you bought, Hal, yeah, uh, a couple of days ago, the 15 or was it the 25, that one uh, is not actually reusable. However, Jason of Philly Tree People came up with a, a cool idea to use, repurpose it as the base of a window box, just as a lining, uh, because it is permeable. I am working on a plan to make the, uh, the, the 10s through the 25s also Velcro, but I would need to have a large custom order with the, the, with the manufacturer. So that's uh, in, in the future. The bags themselves, you said they're spun nylon. Have you ever used any of the ones with the plastic, uh, recycling recycled plastics? I have some that have lasted for at least 10 years. Yeah, the, the biggest um, recycled brand is called Root Pouch. And um, we had longevity issues with it, so um, we didn't keep on using it. But that one is a recycled bag. But the, the smaller sizes are not reusable. So I'm kind of liking the idea of the Velcro reusable that we actually take back here at the nursery. We give uh, our um, customers a, uh, a small credit for those bags so that we can uh, reuse them and they can get a little bit of money out of bringing back larger quantities. Well, there you go. Yeah, it must be a busy yard with deliveries. When I was there the other day, it looked like Overland Freight or DHL had just dropped off a giant pallet of those beloved bags still in the cardboard boxes. It's a great innovation. And, um, you know, I'm an arborist and we have, we take trees down, we grind the stumps. We've had this conversation before. But what I love about a um, 25-gallon fabric bag is how easy it is to load it into a small pickup truck or, you know, a small dump truck and get a bunch of them and there's no heavy equipment. For me, it's been a wake-up call to, you know, plant trees, especially for the client that has seen two or three things 
fail and go away due to heavy weather or disease? It's a, it's a nice system. I, I especially like the ease of being able to, to load that into a car. Just about anybody can plant a 15-gallon tree, and, and it's a it's fairly nice size for, for what it is. It takes out all the heavy equipment. And, you know, it's just a, it's a good product that will keep on, uh, as, as we know, they'll, they'll, they'll grow and grow quicker if they're um, smaller and uh, have less transplant shock. So, yeah, I suspect you might have some unique insights for dealing with pot bound containers. Not that I'm accusing you because I know you would never deliver a pot bound container tree. But I think of all the homeowners uh, going out to the big box stores and, and buying a plastic pot. And they can really be facing and not unknowingly a Pandora's box, you know, a rat's nest of cylindrical junk. What can that homeowner do at that point if they've purchased that tree? Do you have any little insider tips? Nothing, uh, nothing too magical. I think uh, just teasing apart that root system, uh, trying to not cut as much as you can, but really pulling it apart uh, if, if possible. And sometimes you yeah. can go through and just cut as much as you can. Hopefully it's somewhat dormant um, or, or fully dormant. But no, I think, I think those would, would have fine success if they were planted correctly. They, you know, as long as we can find the root flare, tease out any circling roots and not kill the tree in the process. Yeah. It's a challenge for homeowners because you know, they might be doing all that and then that, that, that whole action might actually be the, the end of that tree. But, you know, long term, uh, we've done the right thing. So it's a little bit of a catch 22, I guess. Yeah. Have you ever heard um, Neil Hendrickson talk about he feels like if you have a tree that's beyond the point of no return, you've just popped it out of a big plastic 25 gallon pot. He actually says, cut them all off. Just cut all the cylindrical roots off and start from ground zero. He said, you're going to stress that tree out, but long-term it's the best thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Long-term it is, but uh, you know, it gets, and for me as a contractor, it's a little bit tricky too, because sometimes, you know, we'll have a homeowner tell us where they're getting a tree and, and for us to pick it up or something like that. And it's, yeah. a, it's a pot bound tree and they're like, can you plant it and plant it right? And like, we can, but we might kill it. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and you know they're like well if i just plant it I, it's probably fine how come you're gonna kill it you're the expert they're like uh i don't know how to explain this to you but uh long term though if it does if it does make it at least it'll make it long term yeah can i ask you a question about where you get your seed stock from for planting the, for the trees or do you do cuttings uh, we get a lot of stuff in bare root from all over the country. Uh, just about every state in the country we've gotten stuff from. Uh, we do a lot of fruit trees, so we'll get those from um, you know all, anywhere we can, all the different varieties. A lot of the natives will come from you know Pennsylvania, Delaware. They'll they'll go down south, all the most all the way to Georgia, Florida. I'll uh, get stuff from Tennessee. Just about anywhere we can find anything is where we. we so get. you don't do any of your your own seed. Uh, starting and your own cuttings no not really it's a whole different operation to do that and it's yeah. just not it's what we do is try to create a finished product that's ready for how to to go ahead and get in somebody's yard okay so you're more like the the regular nursery trade where instead of using soil in the field you're actually using container exactly um, because I, I i raised thousands of trees from seed and from cuttings at the university yeah. Yeah. but um 
I, I just was wondering if you do any of that. No, not not much. And it's it's something that a lot of people have told me I should do, but it's a whole different operation. And uh, really, until we get this operation uh, as fine-tuned as we can, I think we need to focus on it. Well, it looks like a machine that is up and running. And, and I think last summer I was up there and was seeing liner stock getting delivered. And that's very impressive as well. Yeah. Although uh, it must really put you guys on high alert when a tractor trailer pulls in and uh, the temperature's creeping up into the mid 80s. And It's know. the worst when they, uh, when they show up and they don't tell us that they're coming and we're, we're, uh, we're scrambling. Yeah. <laughs> Some of those truckloads, to go back to your question from before about where they're coming from, you know, some of them are coming from all the way in Oregon. You know, we got to be prepared for that to come here and, and get it healed in and ready for potting. Do you yeah. get stuff from Schmitz at all? I never have uh, <laughs> because their price point is just so out there. Uh, the closest I've gotten to their uh, material in terms of price point is a nursery called Bailey, which, which used to be Carlton. Yeah, one day when when I when I grow up, I'll, I'll buy stuff from Schmidt. <laughs> uh, your selection of fruit trees is very impressive, and Eva Hassan has identified fruit-bearing apples that are going to be suitable for our hot, humid Delaware Valley days. Do you happen to know those varieties off the top of your head? I'm sure you do. Yeah, varieties, um, basically, varieties that have been bred for some disease resistance, uh, resistance to fire blight, yeah, apple scab and, and, and cedar apple rust is a big one, too. My favorite and my best-selling apple here at the nursery is called Enterprise. It's a good tasting apple, uh, and it's fairly disease resistant, uh, probably one of the most disease resistant of all of them. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other names. Um, they tend to be very patriotic names. Freedom, Liberty, Apple. Good. Uh, one of my favorite. Patriot. Uh, no, that's a good blueberry though. Uh, Nova Spy is a good one. Carina is a good one. And then of the one, and you know, a lot of people haven't heard of those apples, but if you get to some of the basics, you know, Red Delicious is a fairly easy to apple to grow. I and mean, no wonder it's very, I don't, I wouldn't say it's popular, but it's very common. Yeah. Um, not very delicious either. Uh, when you say red delicious, it's not delicious when you compare it to other apples. Right, right. But for, for the ease of a homeowner to grow, it's... It's fairly, uh, it's, fairly, it's deep. fairly easy to grow, right? Yeah. right. And, and, and that's that that might contribute to it being the uh, you know, the apple you get in a school lunch or something like that. And then, uh, even uh, varieties like wine sap are, are easy, but you know, I'll have a lot of customers come here to the nursery and say, Hey, I want a honey crisp apple and I want to grow it organically, and I'm like, uh, I don't think that's going to be uh, very uh, easy on you. So, uh, I try to steer them towards these varieties that we just talked about. Yeah, instead of having them spray or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good a good sage advice to give to someone because uh, you really don't you don't want people spraying in their backyard, especially when they don't know anything about spraying. They don't, and and yeah, and I really break a lot of people's hearts with that because they come here and they're like, "Well, I want to grow this Honeycrisp apple, and uh, I want to have it in my backyard. It's my favorite apple, and I want to grow it organically." And I'm like, uh, "All these things are not going to mesh together very well. The organic and the Honeycrisp don't 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 blend." And I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people need education about, and one of the things that you're probably doing as you sell things, you're yeah. actually educating. And education for the consumer is is a huge thing when it comes to understanding how to take care of that plant or raise that plant and get what you're what you want from that plant yeah yeah one uh, uh fruit type 
that I think seems to be cruising along oblivious to heat and humidity is persimmon. And I, I seem to remember that you, you're growing a couple of them as well. Yeah, we have the American straight native, uh, which uh, you won't know if it's um, male or female for quite a few years. And then we have some of the American crosses, some of the Russian crosses. The one we currently have is called Rosianka. Um, and that is still an astringent persimmon, um, which uh, it's, it's really good when it's ripe, but it really uh, people find it challenging to, 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 to get it ripe. And then uh, our most popular persimmon are, are the, um, the Asian variety called Fuyu. And that's going to be your non-astringent, crunchy persimmon. We probably can't sell enough of them. They're, uh, they're very, very popular. That's, is that yeah. that's the khaki species? It mm-hmm. is, yeah. It is. Yeah. I, they, they do grow really well, surprisingly. People yeah. don't know that. Yeah. yeah. We had a neighbor around the corner from us. I used to live in, a, in an area um, uh, right outside the city called Little Korea. And uh, there was a beautiful one on someone's lawn. And I was walking by one day with the dog and I couldn't believe it was like weighted to the ground with Mm -hmm. these uh, amazing fruits. And and they were large. They weren't like our small persimmons of our native type. Yeah. And they store well, too. Yeah. Well, persimmon's one of these plants that uh, you wouldn't know the struggle because you see them in the landscape and they're doing really well and they're weighted with lots of fruit. But at the nursery, they're a real challenge. They... um, they don't transplant well, especially bare root. Uh, hmm. If we get them in bare root, we automatically lose half of them. And so we, we, we have a high price point on them for that reason. We just are signing a contract with a nursery in California to grow them for us in little containers. Well, that's um, a great idea. We'll have that um, crop ready for us in 2022. Uh, coming in here and uh, we'll grow we'll, we'll take that container and then put it into one of our probably a seven gallon bag uh, and grow it to about five six feet and get it ready for sale but uh, yeah currently we're having a real struggle uh, with persimmons they're a, a challenge for us here at the nursery once they leave here they're usually okay but getting in them the nursery, to the it's hard to keep them going it, uh, yeah it's hard to get them started really uh, yeah. keeping them going is okay hard to get them started do you sell a lot to pop philly orchard project we do. Uh, they generally, uh, Phil will put in an order uh, maybe um, once in the spring, once in the fall. Yeah. That's yes, great. So that, That's great to yeah. hear because that, that, that organization's fabulous. Yeah. And, and, and between um, Phil and um, Tree Philly, they uh, told the Baltimore Orchard Project about our uh, nursery. And now the city of Baltimore also buys um, fruit trees from us. Wow. That's, awesome. oh, that's fantastic. I think when you start to franchise the tree authority, Hassan, every major city on the <laughs> eastern seaboard should have a tree authority in, in the nether parts of their uh, suburban sprawl. Are you yeah. ready to franchise? I, I don't even think this uh, current operation is uh, under control. I, 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 I don't know. I, I need some... Uh... Well, neither is Tesla. I mean, yeah. hi, yeah. my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I guess, uh, I, I don't know what to say. That's a, that's a good comparison. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> it is. Yeah. Well, you never know, like, by saying something like that, where it could go. Right. And, you know, I think one of the unique things about you as a grower is your background in engineering. And there's not a lot of people who have an engineering background. So you're looking at things in a different way than say someone coming from 
the pure science end or they're coming from the arts end or they're coming from a totally dis different discipline that doesn't have anything to do with engineering or science. You just start to think about that and um, you, you have, you look at things differently. And I think that that, that probably plays a huge part in your success with your nursery because irrigation systems, talking about engineering, you're, uh, you're looking at the structure of the plant and the pots in engineering. Uh, you're looking at it in a different way than most people are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, having that education was definitely a, a benefit. Uh, I probably should have had an education in horticulture, but I guess you, f you figure that stuff out as you go. It's Learning been, along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely been good for the things that you just mentioned, you know, building, you know, the, some of the structures we have here at the nursery, the irrigation systems, you know, our water tanks and uh even trying to automate some of these systems that I've been trying to work on um, uh, has been good. And uh, uh, Hal, I don't know if you've ever seen our potting machine here, but uh, I have. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's great. Yeah. The potting is that your design? It's uh, a modification of a design of a gentleman in Lancaster. He made a pot filler, a flat filler. Those are like the uh, the seed trays. Oh yeah. Uh, and so I we modified his design to fill our bags from five gallon to 25 gallon and had him uh, custom build it for us. So that was really great. Uh, and actually, uh, you should know that Max at Greenland Nursery bought one similar to mine after seeing mine. So that, so I think that's something we'll franchise is, is building potting machines. There you go. I was going to ask you if you knew Max. Uh, he's, he has a great nursery down there too. Yeah, I think I noticed... Um, I'm calling them uh, high tunnel or hoop houses. I don't remember those from previous visits, but maybe I was oblivious. I noticed that you moved a lot of stock into those structures. What are you calling them and, and why did you decide to move? It looked like 80% like of your stock was indoors now. Yeah, they're, they're um, hoop houses, I guess. Uh, all they are is a... It's a metal hoop structure that is covered with a four mil layer of plastic. And there's no heat added other than the passive solar system and really keeping the wind off. There's a couple advantages for the winter. The first is that because it condensates so well, it actually rains in there. So mm. things stay watered. Even if it's freezing out, you can keep things wet and, and keep it humid. The freeze-thaw cycle is hard on tree roots. Even though the top can handle, you know, whatever, maybe negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit, the freezing and thawing of roots, and especially the fluctuation, if they're, if they're not frozen, that's fine. If they're frozen, that's fine. But going back and forth multiple times a day sometimes is an issue for those root systems. So all the hoop house does is regulate the temperature so that if it's cold, it kind of stays a little bit colder. If it's hot, it stays a little bit hotter. And, and it's uh, the number of times that you go back and forth for, above freezing and below freezing is minimized. The last advantage is that we can monitor the trees so, for example, if there was a snowstorm like we had earlier um, this, this winter, one issue we have here at our nursery is meadow voles and mice will actually chew the roots mm. of some of our plants, and especially under snow cover. They'll get under there, get right at the base, and this, this happens on fig trees, this happens mm. on, um, on apples, a lot of the fruits, uh, and even uh, some of the uh, the prize natives, like uh, last year, we had a 25 gallon white oak totally destroyed by uh, by voles. 
And uh, that's a really precious tree for us here at the nursery. So we can monitor those trees even in a snowstorm and make sure that we have a rodent population under control. That's a problem. That's a serious problem. They, they girdle the, the trunk of the tree so bad that the tree can't survive. Well, sometimes they'll chew all of the roots, like in the case of an apple tree, they'll chew the whole, the whole root system so that when you pick up the, the trunk, or the tree by the trunk, you'll have no roots in it. Okay, because yeah, because in, in in with the tree planted is a problem in apple orchards. It's the girdling that they do under yeah. the snow. You know, I have a friend who has a huge orchard out in western Pennsylvania, and that's something that they they're like, oh my gosh, you know, how long is the snow going to be cut? But when we have a really long period of heavy snow cover in the winter time, that's when the most girdling happens. Yeah. Yeah, some some orchards will actually snow shovel out their trees if they can, yep. and just just yep. for that problem. Oh wow! Yep. So, were you able to train your staff to erect the hoop houses, or um, did you have an outside contractor? Because they're pretty impressive. Uh, let me think about this. I think we have six houses here now, and we've had them here the whole time. You just don't notice them until they're covered in the winter. We generally add like one, maybe two a year over the over the past. Uh, number of years. So uh, we erect them ourselves and uh, we we buy them already pre-bent. You can actually just buy the pipe and bend it yourself, but we buy them pre-bent and uh, just assemble them here. And uh, it's quite a lot of screws. Our smallest house is a um, 16 by 128 and that's almost too small. And our larger houses are um, 21 by um, 148. And those are what uh, we've switched all of our new ones to. And they have an inside height of about 11 feet. So we can keep things for the most part standing straight up in the houses. Do you ever do any forcing for the Philadelphia Flower Show? No, I never have, but I've sold to other um, exhibitors who have taken taken. uh, the material in the uh, late fall, uh, sorry, late summer, early fall and forced them. I was going to wonder about that because that's a, that's another big business. We used to do it at the university, force the trees. Yeah. Yeah. One thing even I uh, constantly circle back to is this uh, concept of species migration. And uh, I don't know if you're able to give it a lot of thought as, a, you know, running the business and stuff. But, you know, even in the past couple of days, Jason Lubar at the Mora, Steve Gowen, Jason was talking about declining chestnut oaks on the Delaware River Gap. And uh, Steve Gowen at Schuylkill Center for Environmental Education was talking about mature oaks uh, in a woodland setting that also are declining for reasons unknown. So a little bit dark and ominous. Just wondering if you had anything you wanted to share in terms of what species you might be choosing to grow or maybe you're already growing it that kind of accommodates the change to the Delaware Valley. Is that, have this correct? I think we've gone from a 6B to a 7 in terms of our agricultural? We've actually gone from a five to a seven. Oh, five to a seven. We've gone from Mercy. five to a seven in the last 35 years. Oh, okay, wow. Since, my, since I've been in the profession, we were always yeah. five. Wow, <laughs> I'm speechless now. <laughs> um, I, I guess we're, we're very much uh, based on what the market wants. So, uh, you know, we listen to what, what, what's coming out on lists. What are people asking for? What do people yeah. want? contract grow. But at the same time, um, there seems to be this idea that um, maybe we should look towards southern species and this and that. And I, uh, I'm i a little cautious about that because this past year was a great example. Uh, in 
uh, at this nursery here on September 20th, we had frost and that's still summertime. And, you know, even though maybe we're trending warmer overall, there are just more extremes. And yeah. some of these extremes might not uh, be suitable for, you know, um, even some of the, the southern trees. I guess there's no good answer for it, but we just have a lot of um, diversity here. Uh, we probably have... Uh, the website's not up to date in terms of how many different species we have. We probably are over 300 at the moment uh, with all our fruit trees and all of our uh, natives and, and ornamentals. And there's so many different microclimates that we're planting in. We, we you know, we yeah. in the middle of center city, Philadelphia, and then we come out here. Uh, we have a lot of clients here in, in our backyard here in Percocy. We have clients in Baltimore. Uh, we've gone up to New Hampshire. You know, our, I think, just having that diversity allows customers to see what works for them and pick, uh, pick through our, uh, our, our list a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's an interesting angle. I think that's a really good thing, too, from an education standpoint. If your clients are willing to experiment to see if something does survive or, or you know, does well and comes back and tells you that they're thrilled with what they've got and they're coming back and they want to try a couple other things that they might yeah. not have picked before because they were happy with the results that they had. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of that going on. I think a lot of people are realizing they can't just plant maples and they can't just plant oaks and they definitely can't just plant ash trees. Yeah, anytime now I, I, I see lists coming in, they have a lot more diversity, a lot more oddball stuff. It's a little bit hard for, for me as a nursery owner to keep up with some of the oddball stuff because um, it's hard to judge how much to grow of something and how many different types to grow because we have we already have so much and you know someone comes to the nursery and says, hey, how come you don't grow this and that? And it's uh, it's just a little overwhelming. Sometimes. It's almost like it's not, you, you mean 300 isn't enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have everything but what people want. Well, I was going to ask you, are there any major trends that you see with the things being purchased? Is it heavy, more heavy into fruit trees? Is it more heavy into shade trees? Is it more heavy into smaller trees? Do you see Depends. anything like that happening? Oh, yeah. It depends on the clientele a lot. Uh, fruit trees have exploded this in 2020, especially because of COVID. Um, we couldn't keep enough fruit trees here. And uh, even even going into spring 21 right now, I'm seeing the pre-orders come in, and it is very fruit tree heavy. People are scared to go to the grocery store. They want to have their own orchard at their own house. And uh, whatever they can do to kind of control their food supply a little bit, is they're, they're really into I've never sold out of berry bushes up until last spring of 21. Oh, sorry, 2020. Uh, we sold out of every single berry bush we had here. Uh, I thought that was that was something. And in terms of the the uh, the shade and the native trees, uh, th th those are hot too. They're um, your average homeowner isn't coming here for too many of those, uh, like they are for fruit trees. But you know, especially municipalities are big on them. A lot of reforestation is happening, and so we sell a lot of um, the natives for that, and, and very diverse groups, um, uh, not just um, you know big shade trees. We're selling you know witch hazels and smaller dogwoods, all the way up to the oaks and the maples and the hackberries. And do you have any pruning classes that would parallel with your fruit tree sales? No, but I should. Yeah, you know, that's, I've done a lot of pruning classes and I think to myself, well, that's, you know, people want to know how to grow the, the best tree to hold the most weight and yeah. 
you know? Yeah, and it, so, it's, it's a very special type of pruning, too. Oh, it, is. it is. It's very it's, special. Uh, yeah. It's, it's uh, the opposite of shade tree pruning in a lot of ways. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's something to maybe think about. Maybe having some classes on your site that would actually help people to make more choices. Yeah. Uh, Eva, you may not know that Hassan's wife is also a horticulture person and grows, at least I know one crop is microgreens for the farmer's market. Is that right? Uh, not necessarily microgreens, but a whole lot of greens in general. Um, okay. Salad greens are her specialty. So that's great. So when you're up there during the summer, you're looking at all the, the woodies, and then off in the distance is this beautiful uh, cutting garden of, I'm a greens guy myself, uh, you know, kale and, and every kind of variety of kale and collards and arugula and stuff. So I really loved seeing that operation. I hope she's doing well. Yeah, that's, uh, it's fun. Uh, we, we have two, two crazy operations happening here at the same time. That's wonderful. So you can get your greens for dinner and you can get your fruit for the fall. Yeah, <laughs> a crunchy persimmon. Yeah, dessert. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, now, if I'm remembering correctly, you grew up in, in Northeast Philly? Yeah, that's correct. And could you give out a shout to your neighborhood? And I should say for our listeners around the world, when we say Northeast Philly, we're actually referring to a neighborhood, a large neighborhood called the Northeast. Yeah. And whereabouts were you? Uh, I grew up around Cotman and Boston to the Northeast Philly a street called Oakland Street. Yeah, we, um, myself and quite a few members of the community, uh, especially a group from the Friends of Pennypack Park, we all put together a, um, a group called Tree Northeast, where we planted street and yard trees throughout Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, I think to date, we've planted somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 trees as part of that program, mostly on the street. Yeah, the Northeast mostly in street tree pits. I'm sorry. Most, mostly, yeah, but but also a lot of yard tree, a lot of schools, a lot of libraries, also because North, the Northeast does have a lot of yard space, unlike the rest of the city. Yeah, the, the Northeast has had a quite a decline in tree canopy over um, the course of you know, the last couple of decades. I guess there's been um, not so much effort to replant, so we kind of helped fill that void. We covered about probably around eight zip codes in, in Northeast Philly. We were really um, a big tree tender group trying to plant and do a little bit of maintenance. We tried to at least prune for the first two years and help homeowners uh, maintain their, their pits and, uh, and their trees. Do you still do that or is that organization still alive and active? It is still alive and active. Uh, I'm, I'm not the main one running it anymore. I've got uh, a little too much on my plate. But, right, uh, right. But yeah. that was somebody that kind of stepped in. Because I know that that was a very, very active group when you it were was. running it. Um, yeah. Because, you know, when my students needed extra credit and they needed to <laughs> learn something, I would send them up to the different groups that had tree tenders happening. And yours yeah. was very, very active. Yeah. And, and I think that that's important. And, you know, growing up, my first home was in Philadelphia, and we we were actually in part of the Northeast. It was very, very covered with trees um, mm. until they started, you know, development and then tore them down. So you're right. There was a great loss of canopy. Yeah, for that and, and, and other reasons just uh, yep. all over the place. But there's not much effort towards uh, replanting. And we actually did a really cool project recently recently. Um, 
We partnered with um, the state rep, Jared Solomon, over there. And there's a median strip owned by PennDOT on Levick Street. Oh, yes. Uh, I know uh, it very well. There's a, there's a big median strip. And we just planted 80 trees there this past fall. Yeah, what kind of trees did you plant? Oh, we planted uh, some big shade trees in the strip. I, I did a nice mix there of we had lindens, the American lindens. We did some bald cypress. We did some swamp white oaks and some bur oaks, some Kentucky coffee tree. Oh, we did some Zelkovas. So uh, really mixed it up. Some natives, some non-natives, some more southern varieties, some more, a little bit of Just everything. like the Northeast. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's what we were thinking. I think it's Castor and Devereux or Castor and Devereux. Because it's almost like a, like a four or five block area. Mm-hmm. It was very active. And that center strip was bare. There was never anything in it. Yep. And yep. It, the area was so hot. Beautiful stone row homes. Yep. And, and, and there's a pl- playground on the one side of the street. Tarkin Playground, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep. yeah. So we just, just this past fall, we planted uh, 80 trees there. So we're excited awesome. to see uh, see how they do. And you had the state representative behind you? We did, yeah. It was, uh, they had applied for the grant to get it all going um, and, and for uh, maintaining it. So it's, uh, it's going to be good. And uh, we're excited to see how it, how it goes. And the neighbors all bought into it too, obviously. Well, I think we had probably 70, 70% probably bought into it. 30 were probably worried about uh, many different many different things. Well, there's a lot of people who fear trees, too. They are. Just, because, just because they're big and just because they create shade. But uh, I think it's going to make the area so much more cooler in the summertime because that area is very hot in the summertime. It was interesting some of the responses we saw as we were planting uh, to, you know, to, to, to uh, answer your question as to how, how did the neighbors like it. You know, a lot of them were, were loving it. One of them was asking, there was power lines in one spot where we decided we're not going to plant. They're like, why isn't, that, why isn't there a tree going here where the power lines are? And we're like, you know, we try to explain that. But then others were worried, you know, they were saying, hey, this, the street lights are they going to get blocked? This is a dangerous neighborhood. Are we going to be able to see? Is, is there going to be uh, an issue there? There are people who are worried about their pipes and, uh, and that sort of thing. You know, many different responses came out of that planting. And a lot of misinformation, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one question that Hal and I love to ask is, do you have a favorite tree or group of trees that you feel are not only close to your heart, but a tree or group of trees that you feel need a voice? I, uh, I'll give you two trees. The first one will be uh, good and the second one will be controversial. So this will be fun. The, uh, the first tree is one of my favorites to sell here at the nursery is a hawthorn. It just gives you year round color. Uh, a nice small tree that uh, you know most homeowners can can enjoy and handle. Uh, the birds like the berries. The berries look good. It's just a fun fun tree to grow. And the, and the variety we sell here is called Winter King. It's resistant to cedar apple rust. So I, I just really like that tree, among others, of course. But uh, the controversial answer is my favorite tree is Norway maple. I grew up with one in front of my house. I think they're really cool. They have some dense shade. I know they're invasive, uh, but heck, I love them. I think that's great because if we ask, what is your favorite tree? It usually is one from our childhood. Yeah. How can you, um, yeah. how can you deny your love of that tree when it shaded your community? 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, there's um, it's it's a it's a great tree in many ways. It's a very it's a dense shade. It's a big maple. Um, the wildlife sure loved it. And from an arborist standpoint, it falls apart after you know 50 years or so. But hey, that keeps us employed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And there are some. There's actually some cultivars right now. There's the crosses. There's one that is um, a pumpkin orange in the fall. Mm, it's wow. shorter. It's it's um, it's a beautiful tree. I, ha I can't remember who it's crossed with. Uh, it's a Japanese tree that it's crossed with. But you know, I think that we've kind of villainized a lot of right. trees. That um, we need to be more careful about how we talk about trees, just like how we talk about people. Right. Um, I think that's really important. And and it does have a, a allopathic chemical in it in its system. But that's actually for its own survival. Um, and it also, you know, doesn't allow other things to grow underneath it. Most things don't grow underneath it yeah. because of that. But there are places that it can grow and do an important job. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about Philadelphia in general, you know, how much of that tree canopy is tree of heaven, Norway maple, uh, mulberry, Polonia. Polonia, you know, and yeah. th those things are, they're indestructible and they're, uh, they're serving some sort of purpose and there are a lot of the tree canopy. So, you know, uh, if we're talking about in increasing tree canopy, I guess uh, we got to consider those are part of it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We've well, got to get off our horticultural high horse. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Well, this was a real delight to have you on our show. And yeah, it really was. I, kn I know our listeners are going to love it. So thank you again for um, coming on today, and we wish you all the best with your new baby. Thank um, you. I'm yeah. sure you're going to have a, a little helper soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should be weeding by uh, six months is what I, what I hear. I want to laud you also, Hassan, that our first guest that actually uh, triple-casted, you were able to eat a sandwich tend to your infant son, and talk to us at the same time. I think that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's triple duty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, th thanks for having me. This is, this is fun. I, uh, I got all the other podcasts. that uh, We look forward <laughs> to having you on again. Thank you. Thanks again. Thank you.